Well, good morning, everyone. I'd ask you to turn to Mark, Mark chapter 9. And in light of what we just sang, aren't you glad that we aren't who we were? That this book, as it shares the power of God applied to our lives by His Spirit, it, it changes us as we walk with Him. Uh, and that's just, that's just such a wonderful reminder this morning as we begin. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Uh, looking at a few other places, of course, as we go along, reading the story in verses 14 and following here of the Lord. And I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, uh, but our focus is going to be this continued theme the past number of weeks, growing faith, a growing faith. How do I grow my faith? A couple weeks ago, I, I had mentioned uh, Jesus as our example in Philippians chapter 2 and how he entrusted himself, he delivered himself to the Father and how that's the central struggle in our life. How does that change though? How does my faith need to grow? Now this morning we're going to kind of bite into this a little bit and tie some things together hopefully, but let's open in prayer uh, and then we'll begin that process. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so glad you're at work in our lives so thankful that your word is understandable, that your spirit, through your word, transforms us as we submit to it. And, and so, Lord, we just come before you now as the best way that we know how to ask you through your word and in this time to continue that work, that you continue to mold us and shape us, that we would become more of what you called us to be, that we would know your peace in new ways, understanding your heart just a little better, and Lord, more rooted in your love and your purpose for each one of us here this morning. So we just entrust ourselves to you in this time. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we look at Mark chapter 9, um, like I said a minute ago, it ties into some of the other things that the Lord has been providentially working. You know, we didn't plan for any of this. I, I wasn't supposed to be up here. Pastor Jim was supposed to be here. And yet at the same time, we trust the Lord, His purpose, and His timing. And as I looked back even this past week, I was amazed by this pattern. Even as Pastor Ken last week shared from Psalm 102 about what lament is. And it's not whining, it's not complaining, but it's coming before the God of the universe with our brokenness, with our hearts, wherever it might be, and we lay it at His feet, reminded that He is the one who's on the throne, Right? And the week before that, we had talked about Christ as our example, the call in our hearts to just, to just trust him. And while I wouldn't ask you necessarily to turn to 2 Kings chapter 19, you can mark it down in those notes hopefully you have in front of you, because I think of Hezekiah in this very often. Sennacherib has come against Jerusalem. Hezekiah is the king in Jerusalem. Israel has fallen. Judah remains you know, there's a lot of political turmoil in our world today. There's a lot of turmoil in our lives today, in our families today. So many of the things in our world that used to hold everything together have some foundation. They've been destroyed systematically, progressively, recently, rapidly. Hezekiah's day would be very similar, except he's the king. And he's responsible for Judah, for Jerusalem, and here the strongest army in the east is challenging his very existence. And what they would do to those people if they breached the walls would be terrible. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sends his messenger and a letter. This is the day of Isaiah, by the way. Isaiah is the prophet at the time. Second Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah takes this letter and he goes up to the house of the Lord and he spreads it out before the Lord. You can imagine him laying this scroll out before the altar, and he said, Lord God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of all the earth, you have made heaven and earth, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Listen, I think of this when I think about prayer and trust. 
You know, this is where our hearts should be. And yet so often we struggle with that whole process. You know, the great thing is we don't have to go to a temple anywhere we are. We can just humble our hearts before the Lord, lay out whatever it is, and say, God, here it is. I can't do it. I can't, I can't accomplish these things in my life. And you know what the thing is? As I say this, I'm sure every single one of us would agree. But it's examples like this that put it on the page for us in real ways. And I want to ask us this morning, I want you to ask yourselves this morning, why do we not do that? No, I've had to learn to do this. I'm still learning. It's so great. We just saying ancient words, they change us. I'm so thankful for that, but I had to learn this process of bringing my heart to the Lord, and I realized there's something inside of us, in our flesh, we just resist doing that. And if you've been walking with the Lord and you've been practicing this for a long time, you know, oh, that's where I got to live. And if you're not there yet, let me tell you, that's where you got to live. This is our lifeline, and that's what we see here in Mark chapter 9 with our Lord as he highlights this. See, the central truth this morning isn't that we can do this on our own. And it isn't that I need to pray more, I need to grow my faith more, all those are true. But it's that personal prayer, that's real prayer, not going through the motions as Pastor Ken mentioned last week. Lament is not complaining and whining. I use the word wallowing. You know, we flop ourselves before the throne and complain, but we don't put him on the throne in our hearts, in our life. We don't remind ourselves who it is, like Hezekiah said, you're God. You can do this, and I can't, and I know you can. This aspect of personal prayer is central to dependent faith. It's central to dependent faith, and we see that here in this passage. It's, it's inseparable. In other words, This idea that I can be dependent on the Lord without prayer in our human experience, in our relationship with God, it doesn't work. They're inseparable. They're reflective. My dependency on the Lord is reflected in my my prayer, from my heart, all the time, an attitude of prayer. They're connected at the basic levels, and we could go on. I'm sure all of us would agree that, that we... We value the word. And I was reminded of Smith Wigglesworth, which if there are any young ones in here, it's hard not to keep a straight face with that name, I understand. But we're familiar with his, his quote. Maybe you don't know his background, but he's a 19th century Pentecostal influencer. And we wouldn't necessarily agree with him and his theology. If you were to read his books, you'd go, hmm, I don't know if I'm there with him on these points. But he is famous, I think, We've probably even heard it preached. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That was his quote. Now, is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. He also mentioned that faith is reciprocal. Act in faith, and you'll have greater faith. Now, is that true? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. When we turn to the Lord. The reality is it it should. God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. That should settle it, but does it really? Just ask for a minute. Does it really in our hearts? There's still this turmoil in our hearts to live it and to walk it. We tell ourselves that because we want it to be true, but if we're honest in our life, we struggle with it. There's an aspect of this even with faith being reciprocal. If I act in faith, I'll have greater faith. We're holding on to, again, doing this on our own. If there was one failure, there were a few, of Wigglesworth's theology, it would be this focus on me having to do this. And you know, after the last message in Philippians chapter 2, we could walk away from that and saying, I just, listen, I know what the problem is. I just need to trust God more. And then take that on our own shoulders and say, I've got to muster this. I've got to make this happen. And there's an aspect that is true. Just like these quotes. But our hearts are weak. We are like sheep. We're fearful. Our flesh is constantly at war with the spirit in our lives. The mind always being bombarded by those inclinations 
sadly, of our fallenness. It doesn't just happen. And on the back of your notes, you're going to see a diagram. And it's true. I would share this over and over again. Describe this over and over again. Listen, there's truth that no matter how you take it or whether you believe it, it never changes. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether I hold on to that right now or not, it's true. The wages of sin is death. Christ covered it all in his death. He, he took it for us. Whether I act on that truth or not, it doesn't change the truth. Now, if you go down through in the middle of that and you take those commands and you respond appropriately to those things, you see the fruits of it. If you bring your faith to the Lord and you trust him, you do have more faith. That is true. But what we miss with this and what I'm inclined to constantly do in my own life and lay on others inadvertently is now just say we have to do this. And that is not the case because all around this, yes, this is true. It's still dependent on God. It's still all of God. And I would ask us to look at these diagrams, but if we would have one counterpoint to all of this, it would be it's dependent on him to do in our hearts and life, in my own personal life, which is why when we come back to this central truth this morning, that personal prayer is, is critical, is central to a dependent faith. This isn't just one more thing on our shoulders. Okay, listen, if you walk away from this thinking, I need to go home and I just need to pray more. Yes, that's true, but we're missing the point. It's our hearts. What do we do with our hearts? That's what connects to our prayer. If it's just, I'm going to go before the Lord and throw these things in front of him, and that's all it is, we've missed the point. It's this dependence on him. You know, here in Mark chapter 9, the emphasis is on a spectacular failure. Spectacular failure. Sometimes when we read Mark, especially in this passage, we just kind of jump over that. And Mark is a very dynamic book. Over and over and over again. This happens and this happens and this happens and it's very condensed. And yet of all the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, this is, this is the longest account of this, of this scene. Now the setting, just to put this in perspective, is, is Christ has just been transfigured with the three, Peter, James, and John. And they're coming down the mountain. So they were there overnight. And of course, you know, you got that whole dynamic there with Peter, who didn't know what to say, so he said something foolish. We probably can identify with that sometimes. And as they come down the mountain, they see the nine that were remaining. And this is the scene that we walk into. And in, in light of all of this, this spectacular failure that we see, see these, these nine, in his absence, weren't able to cast out this demon. And this wasn't because they couldn't before. You see, they had been given the ministry actually to do this earlier. Mark 3.15, you can mark that down. Or, or chapter 6, verse 7, again in Mark. Even successfully in chapter 6, verse 13. There was not like, like us. If you were to say, Pastor, go cast out this demon. I'd be like, this is it's not my realm. And this is not a passage talking about how to cast out demons. And so they had gone from success to success to success, even 70 in Luke. Luke, chapter 10, 70 of Jesus' disciples, followers, were sent out. And they came back marveling, saying, listen, it's amazing. Even the demons listen to us. So here are the nine. They couldn't do it. It's so important for us to slow our hearts down for a minute and just walk through this passage this morning and hear Jesus' words because what can happen is we can listen to messages, we can read passages, and we can skip right through without connecting ourselves to these people in the story because we're not very different. I know I'm not. And our Lord certainly isn't any different and the truth isn't different. So as we look at this this morning, I want to point out the fact that there's some, some instruction from Christ on this. Why did they fail? How is it that they got to this place where publicly before a whole crowd they were shown to be 
well, in, incapable, very literally. Well, first, we see in Mark 9, 28 and 29, right at the very end, that he said to them, verse 29, this kind, now, mind you, I just want to point out, this isn't like there's different, there's hard demons to cast out and easy demons to cast out. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus didn't do anything special. They cast out demons before under the authority of this ministry that Jesus had given to them. No, what he's talking about, this kind, this fallen spirit, this fallen angel, this demon, notice what he says, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Matthew chapter 17 gives us a little bit more, where he specifically says to them, when they came to him privately, can you imagine that? Jesus, why, why is it it didn't work this time? Verse 20 of Matthew 17, because of your little faith. Do you notice the tie between the faith and the prayer here in the same setting, in the same failure? Sometimes we separate those things. And even in prayer, how often is it really in faith? James talks about that in chapter 1, doesn't he? You know, there are so many things that are always tied together, often tied together over and over and over again, and yet because we're familiar with so many, we, we run right over them. See, the truth is, is that they had started trusting in themselves. They said it. It happened. Look at us. The 70 that came back in Luke chapter 10 marveled over this. And Jesus said, don't marvel over this, but instead marvel over the fact that you're, you're going to heaven, that your name is written in this book, that you will be in the kingdom. Sometimes with our great blessings, we, we forget who the author of them truly is. When I pray, do I pray to bring and share my heart with the Lord? And I'll just, this, this, this sounds like maybe just a crazy question to ask, but just ask yourself this question, your own personal walk. Do we really pray to bring and share my heart with Him? We can go through these motions and get in these habits in a way that isn't really personal, heartfelt prayer. I cannot tell you how crushing it is for me to hear from someone who's broken and suffering and with the honesty from the soul looking in your eyes and say, Pastor, I I pray and it doesn't help. Just stop and think about that. How many of us would that be true this morning? Do I bring my heart to the Lord? Is he truly God on the throne? When I pray, am I just going through the motions? Am I declaring and demonstrating? Listen, there's a whole theology out there today that say this is what you got to do. You got to come to the Lord and say this is the way it is. I'm going to speak it into existence. That's not what scripture says. That's back to I've got to do it. And now I got to make God do it. That's not how this works. Maybe... I don't pray. This is humbling for me. You know, a big chunk of my life, I was making it happen on my own. Thinking I was. Guys, I want to ask, do you, do you pray with your family? With your kids? Your grandkids? Really? When's the last time? What did that look like? Now, these all might seem very basic. Like, come on, can we get in the text? Let's listen to a sermon. This, the, the problem is we skip over this so often. Why don't I pray? What are those things in my life? What are those things that distract me? Do I, am I really trusting the Lord in this? And when I do pray, how bad does it have to get? Did you notice in this failure, we're going to get to this, the disciples get really focused on the Lord and what's going on when it doesn't work. And a lot of times that's where we are. If we won't settle our hearts even this morning, just think through these things in advance. Eventually, we'll get to that point. It's very embarrassing. It's very hard. The wisdom of the word is to consider these things before that. So you look at prayer and faith, James chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. We'll look at it later. But He says that you have not. You know, quarrels, causes fights among you. You have these passions at war within you. And this is, this is humbling to me because he says in part 
that you don't have because you don't ask. That's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is when we ask and we don't receive it. How many of us would say, wait a minute, I've asked for things that's never happened. And that's a whole other message, no doubt. But what James says is some of the issue is that we're looking for God to do things in our lives, to give to us in our lives, to spend on our own desires and our own passions. We are literally saying to God, listen, I would be happy if I had this and this and this and I don't need you. Would you help me do this without you? It's not according to his will. It's not what's best for us. When we look at this story, we see a failure. And so as we start here at verse 14, let's just follow this through. Certainly the first here that we see is the failed faith. It's just a failed faith. And in this, we see fighting, we see failure, and we see frustration. You might say, that's my life. (laughs) That was my morning before we got to church. I don't know. But let's start in verse 14. So when they came to the disciples, that would be the nine, so they're headed down the mountain. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. There's this huge crowd. They see them all there. And they saw scribes arguing with them. So scribes were arguing with the nine. So imagine this. Jesus is headed down the mountain, and there's this huge crowd, and you have the nine disciples. There's our, there's our guys. We're going to pick them up. And they're arguing with these scribes. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, that would be Jesus, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him, and they greeted him. So he asked them, that would be the nine, by the way, what are you arguing with them about? Why are you arguing with them? What is it that, what's, the, what's the problem here? That would be the scribes. Also, did you, did you notice? Just notice, he doesn't get a response from the disciples. Can you imagine their failure? Arguing with the scribes who are putting them down, no doubt. And then Jesus comes and says, so what's all this about? They got their heads down. I don't know, it's not there, but I can imagine No, someone from the crowd speaks up, verse 17. Teacher, I brought my son to you. Did he? No, he intended to bring him to Jesus, but he didn't find him. He found the nine, right? Came to the disciples, those who are ministering in his name. Not a wrong thing for him to do. Extensions of his ministry. the, The father continues, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask, notice this, he's saying this to Jesus, your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. You know, it's kind of like when you hand somebody a jar to open. Have you ever done that? And they're like, and they couldn't do it. That's, that's literally the word that's being used here. They couldn't do it. They didn't have the strength. They weren't able And he answered, that would be Jesus. He answered them, them, all of them. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Talk about frustration. I'm so thankful for the patience that God pours out into our lives, aren't you? Here's a small window And you see it a number of times in the Gospels where Jesus himself is like, really? And it's almost always around faith. Those in the boat. Oh, you have little faith. You think the Father is going to let me drown in the middle of this sea? And he rebukes the wind and the waves. You know, over and over again, we see this window of frustration with the Lord, even with those basic things. What you don't believe, you've seen so much. And yet you don't believe? Faithlessness with the scribes. They were the teachers of Israel. They should have known. They didn't. The disciples, self-dependent. The crowds looking for entertainment. Don't miss the fact that these crowds, they didn't have YouTube. They didn't have video games. This was their entertainment. They're sitting there callously seeing, okay, what's going to happen next? The wine of the gall that was given to Jesus on the cross wasn't for mercy. It was to see if... Elijah was going to come. What's going to happen next? Let's keep him alive. Maybe if he 
prays more, somebody will come out of heaven. That's the attitude of the crowds. They, they didn't believe in who Jesus was. You know, you can see the, the failed faith, the struggling faith even of this father. And that's what we see next. It's faint. It's this faint little glimmer. And this man looking for something, and maybe you identify with this guy. I know I certainly do at a lot of levels. Guilty of what the disciples demonstrated, definitely identify with the father. He brought his son to Jesus. Didn't find him. The disciples were asked to cast him out. They had in the past, but they weren't able to. You know, I'm reminded of how often we can be discouraged by those representatives of Christ, those followers of Christ, even in our own day. And as I look out around here, I'm sure that there are many different stories that we could bring, not that this would be a time, again, back to wallowing, where we could say, yeah, you know, people who claim the name of Christ, churches, they really, they really hurt me. They failed me. No, we have this expectation. If there's ever going to be any love, any peace, any fellowship, and goodness, and grace, and mercy, it's going to be in the, in the house of God with his people. And sometimes we're very disappointed. This guy brought his son to the disciples who had even shown that they could do this in the past and was failed. You know, we have a live stream, and I'm not saying that everyone is on live stream should be here. I understand there are a lot of reasons why we can't be. I'm very thankful for it. But there's an increasing move away from the body in part because of failings within the people of Christ. If we're not honest about that, then we're just burying our head in the sand. Listen, it's still about him. Not everybody else. Disciples are going to fail. Followers are just that. I mean, none of us are the measure. He is. There's this faint faith. He's been failed. He's coming to Jesus. Listen, it's all about prayer, isn't it? No matter what our struggles are with anybody else, it's all about bringing our heart to his feet. Followers of him alongside others. So much here. But look at what happens here. Verse Verse 21. He lays this all out to him. And we see this delay. We see this delay here because we go from all this examples and all this description to verse 21. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not take liberties with the text. But Jesus literally, you can almost, almost picture him, lean on his staff or a fence or the doorpost or whatever. So tell me, how long has this been happening? Now just think about this. We miss the point that at this moment, this boy is on the ground. You see, if you go back to verse 20, they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, if you're a parent, and you can imagine what this must be like, Literally, the very thing you're hoping your child would be delivered from is being demonstrated right in front of you. You've brought your son to Jesus himself, and here is your boy rolling around on the ground, writhing in response to Jesus' presence as the demon takes control of him in that moment. And Jesus turns to him and says, so how long has this been happening? Again, very often we read right over this stuff. What would be your heart's response? The disciples just failed. The scribes have no answers. They're supposed to be the ones that did know. All they do is argue. Jesus is there. And you want to you have a conversation about what's going on here? Very clearly, it's not good. He's suffering right now. Can, can, what can you do? I want to ask, how often have we been in our own hearts in this same place before the Lord? How long? Oh, Lord, how long? In my marriage, 
salvation of my kids, maybe not walking with the Lord, destroying themselves, impacting grandkids. Think about the brokenness in our communities and in our families and at every level of our hearts. This man, as he answers, must be broken. How long has this been happening, Jesus says? Now he goes on to share his heart. Did you know God wants to hear your heart? He knows. So I could say this delay is agonizing, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for the father to share his heart and say, hey, this is really what's going on. This is how it's happened. And it's really bad. Notice what it says in verse 22. It often casts him into the fire and into the water to kill him. This isn't just a thing that bothers him. This is going to take his life. And he goes on to say, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. I just realized it's too far ahead. It's where we get to doubt. Because in the middle of all of this, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Now, is this unreasonable? The disciples weren't able to. And he's saying, listen, I'll take anything. If you can do, can you do anything to help this? And that's what Jesus jumps on here. Jesus said to him, verse 23, if you can, if you can, you're asking me if, if, if I can. Jesus said, this is, this is not dependent on who I am. It's never dependent on who God is. That's, that's what Jesus is asking here. If, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Believes what? Believes God. Believes who he is. Trusting his intentions, his person, his provision, his word. Do you trust me? Again, back to Philippians chapter 2. You know, you could almost see him looking over the shoulder of this guy at the nine, right? Guys, listen. Anything's possible for those who believe. What? Why do I not pray? If you think about it, how much of this life we try to do on our own, even trying to be a better Christian, even trying to do better as a parent, as an employee, just trying to do better in general. How much of this do we still try to do in our own power? Who are we showing we trust? You know, every single one of us has a decision to make. And that's what we see in verse 24. You see, we all have a decision to make moment by moment. In that moment when we realize in the turmoil in our heart what is truly going on, who am I going to trust? Immediately the father, and I love this, this is the center of it for me. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe. I choose to trust. But notice his, his request from Jesus. It's more than just heal my son, do something to help him, help us, have compassion on us. Notice this is the next question of Christ. Help my unbelief. You know, we talk a lot about faith. Here we have something on full display we often don't ask ourselves of, and that's faithlessness. How often do we ask ourselves, where's my unbelief? You see, this, this, this father said, listen, I admit I'm struggling here. I, I have this to work with. I, I've chosen to trust you and I believe you, but I've got to be honest, there's the rest of me that just struggles. Listen, that's all of us, if we're honest. He is at least putting words to it. And listen, there's so much about our walk with God that requires us to put words to, just slow your heart down, be honest, and share that with the Lord. That's prayer. That's dependent personal prayer. That's what this man has been brought to in all of this. There's nowhere else to turn. There's nothing else to trust except Jesus Christ. And even that realizing it's, it's not enough. Help my unbelief. Listen, he couldn't do this alone. He made a choice. 
And in that choice, in that moment, that's where real things started to change because it starts in our personal walk first. You know, so often we're looking for things to change in every other way apart from that humble cry to the Lord. And of course, in verse 25, in that moment, responding to this man, he saw the crowd coming together and he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. I just want to point out this is not epilepsy. This is not a physical thing. There's no doubt. Very clear. This is a, a spirit that God is casting out through the work of Christ. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, so there's this commotion. It came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. So that's a whole crowd, right? They're all looking. They're all looking at this. This is a big entertainment. Poor man and his son and Jesus trying to help. And everyone's looking at him. And they're like, someone said, oh, look, a couple of them said, he's dead. Now, what would be our response in this? There's a couple of blanks you can fill in with whatever you want. But this didn't turn out immediately as everyone was hoping. Certainly not the father. Imagine all this. The, di- the disciples weren't able to do anything. Right? Jesus says all things are possible. So he does something. And even the crowd is saying, yep, he did. Not to make light of it. But if you're there and you're brought to this point as a, as a parent, what part of you wouldn't be thinking, what, what's going on? What's happened? Now, it didn't end there. Certainly, we know that. But sometimes we jump over these things. When we're the ones waiting, we're the ones that have trusted And in this moment, however long it was, it was long enough for the crowd to look at him and then say, yeah, no, he's not moving. For someone to say, oh, he's dead. I mean, there had to have been at least a moment or two here. Imagine the horrific thought in the heart of the Father. Listen, so often no different than us when we see God not working Or maybe it gets worse. Listen, if you trust God to follow his commands and those relationships aren't just magically perfect when you follow his instruction how to deal with those godly, when your struggles personally don't get easier, when the consequences of your honesty means there's consequences that continue. Listen, this is not just Everything will be fine and it's rainbows and puppies and unicorns and kittens when I do what I know is right. Sometimes it gets a lot darker before things get brighter. And in this moment we see that. Aren't you glad he didn't stay that way? Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. This is where he turns to his disciples. Now, they're there in all of this. And we're very thankful for the Father and for the Son. We don't know what happened to them. There's certainly some lessons here. But, you know, all of us would love to be able to say we're a part of this kind of work in people's lives, not casting out demons and everything else, but seeing people come to know who God truly is and see them know Him as we know Him. These, were, these men were really humbled. See, we miss the fact that they, they did try. They came to him and said, why didn't this work? It worked all these other times. You know, in the midst of all of this, is that them trying on their own, without depending on God, was more than just a humiliation publicly, certainly that. And how long they were arguing with the scribes and being ridiculed and and no doubt attacks against Jesus, which of course we would take personally, right? He's our Lord, he's our Savior, we know who he is. When we realize our failure shades people's perspective of Christ, isn't it hurt? I know it does me. 
This shook where they were in their walk with the Lord. And when they tried, they really did try. Without this dependence, they realized they didn't have it. Literally, that's what this word means. Remember I said about the jar? Handing it to somebody? The equivalent was every time Jesus handed them the jar, he had, you know what? Cracked it just a little bit. They were handed a full jar without his help. And it didn't work. They realized, oh, that's right. This isn't of us. Literally here, meaning they didn't have what it took. They were incompetent. They were unable. Apart from Christ, we are unable. We can't do this on our own. We can't continue to live in the past. What do I mean by that? I used to serve. I used to do this. I have done this. And now I'm, listen, they, they're called in the moment to depend on him to serve with his ability and his power flowing through them. Which is why when we talk about personal dependent prayer, which is what we're going to look at next here, it's focused on our dependency. It's focused on his sufficiency. It's focused on this same cry from the heart of the Father who said, I just bring you what I got and it's not enough. Would you take it? Would you work through it? Remember, what was it, two weeks ago? The car and the gas, the gas tank. Remember I talked about that? I said trust is like a full tank of gas. You know, if you're sitting in your car and you don't have a full tank of gas, you know, you can roll down the window, at least if you had a manual one like the olden days, right? You could look real good when people drive by, hold the steering wheel and wave at people. But you're going to have some real problems. I talked about how, you know, the speedometer doesn't work. Well, yeah, your speedometer doesn't work because you're not going anywhere. Well, I don't, I don't hear the engine running. That's because it's not running. You don't have any gas. You know, it all comes back to that core issue, right? And we can walk away from messages like that, and we can come away from diagrams in the back of your notes, which are helpful and important, with the idea that I've got to do this, and I already mentioned that. But prayer and dependence, when we talk about this, is not carrying the gas can over to the vehicle to fill it up. We might have a gas can, but we don't have the gas. That's not what this means. It's literally handing it to God and saying, this is all I've got. You've got to supply the rest. It's the basics of saying, help me. It's as simple as that. And I hate being so simple if you're looking for something groundbreaking and amazing, but the truth is, that's hard. And that's where it all starts. That's what this, that's what this father was doing. He's like, I don't have it. And at the heart of prayer, the heart of faith is not just wrestling with, I need to have more, but realizing I don't have enough. And God has to do this work in my life. And he does. If we will. And if we don't, we won't. And I know that's crazy simple. But would you turn to James chapter 4 with me? James chapter 4. I know we referenced this earlier. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you don't receive... Because you asked to spend it on your own desires and your own lusts and directions. James chapter 4. This is what I hear when I hear Jesus say, Faithless generation, oh, you of little faith. Our hearts are so distracted. You adulterous people, do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Verse 4. How much of this is our lives just so muddled by the world? Whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? Listen, this is so simple. Verse 6, he gives more grace. Aren't you glad? It says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is so basic. In that moment when that father said to Jesus, I choose to believe. 
help my unbelief. He literally just humbled himself before the God of the universe and said, I don't have enough. Jesus says, I got grace. And I give more. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is absolute. Take it to the bank. You know what we struggle with? We struggle with the God, I don't have enough. We're still trying to bring something to him. And he's like, that's not enough. We get humbled pretty fast when we try to do this on our own. Cleanse your hands. We try to do this with the sin in our life, the things in our life, the, the, the different perspectives and desires in our life. Our hands are full. He says, cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. You can't serve God in this world. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's pretty simple. So when we talk about personal dependence and prayer, on the back of your sheet there, you'll see a couple of things. Six steps for prayer three attitudes of prayer, and I'll let you guys read that on your own. I'll let you guys read through these passages on your own. But they're, they're, they're meant to be a guide of our heart. And a lot of times we lay all this stuff on top of things that are really pretty simple. It's just bringing our heart to the Lord. But when it gets really hard, sometimes we need some direction, and that's all this is meant to be, just some direction. You saw what the Father did in this story. He simply just shared his heart. That's all it is. But when we talk about just having an, an attitude of repentance, which is there in your notes, this is restoration. So we see here in James chapter 4, what is it that's in our life that's separating us and God in our relationship? What's come between us? You know, one of the things I'm constantly having to ask God to forgive me for, constantly looking in repentance, it, it is, it's trust. How much I trust myself and not him. How much we trust ourselves over and over and over. It's so humbling. It's so humbling. That's right, God, you're, you're, you're God. It's so great to be close to him. It's so great to be trusting in him. Renewing that relationship. And we, when we talk about attitude, and, and just very quickly, if you look at your notes there, the and is at an angle. It's not a mistake. It's supposed to be at an angle. Attitude has to do with the direction in which a plane is flying. Altitude, attitude. And you know, you can be going along in life, Christian life, living in the, on past victories, past successes, past service, past closeness to God, past studying with, with the Lord in times of prayer. and every, you know, Wherever you are in your altitude with the Lord, right? Your attitude is which way you you directed which way are you headed and it's more than just the steps and the details of prayer it's the it's the direction of our heart if we have a heart's attitude pointed up towards the lord be very different than one pointed down we know that's just a matter of time so it's an attitude of repentance in these steps it's an attitude of restoration of walking in this relationship it's a constant thing, not just a moment. I hope and pray that this father, after this restoration, was certainly there with the Lord, growing in that walk with God, even as we would look to grow in ours. It's an attitude of dependence, of worship. Who God really is. That's what Jesus was calling this man to know. Wait a minute, if I can? If I can? And we forget who God is, we get lost really quickly. Our hearts get filled very quickly with fear. And we don't accept all that he's already done. Be anxious for nothing but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, praise and worship. Who, who is this God and what has he already done? 
It does grow our faith, which leads to our reliance on Him. An attitude of reliance. We confide in Him, we share with Him, we talk with Him, we have confidence in His working. We know, listen, even in that brief moment when that child looks to be dead, I trust Him. Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. He didn't need to. But that was the depth of which Abraham believed God. In those moments when we see maybe it worse, not better. You know, in all of this, and I'll just leave it at this this morning, it comes down to whether or not I will continue, not for a moment, not in the past, but continue as I walk with God to just bring my soul to him. Am I willing to ask even like this man did? To help me believe, to bring all that I am and realize all that I'm not, he's able to supply. That's where we find that grace. That's where we find that strength. And that's the only place that we're going to find that kind of direction that we're looking for as we come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience. (laughs) We thank you for your grace. We are truly like sheep, fearful foolish, lost, weak. We hear your voice in your word. We know the call in our hearts to humble ourselves before you. We admit we struggle to do that. We just pray for each one here, those listening, all of us, that you would help us as we look to you even now and say we we, we don't have it. We don't have enough. We can't do this. We ask you to do this in our hearts and lives. That it would be you who grows our faith and continues to work through all of these things, even the hard things, as you would direct. And we thank you for that in advance. In your son's name, amen. Would you please stand and join us? We're going to close our service out. I see you.